Welcome to the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast, where expert advice becomes real results. At RNA, we are public land hunters that love to share our passion of the outdoors. So join us and our pro staff team as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight and knowledge to help make hunters more successful. Welcome back, listeners, to the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast. I am your host, Lucas Paw. This is actually episode number four, which is a part two in a two-part series with the Southwest Regional Director, Jason Quick, of the NRA. Part one, we discussed um, you know, about his position with the NRA and the foundation, kind of what they do, um, you know, the banquets and the events that they hold across the nation, specifically in California, we talked about where a lot of the funding goes and the grants uh, that are given out to different types of organizations, nonprofits, and so forth. Uh, and uh, it was just really neat conversation with Jason. We got a little political and talked about the upcoming election and kind of what it means for gun owners um, and just a general conversation about some of the implications based on what this election um, could do you know, to our Second Amendment and so forth. So anyway, part one was a really good episode. I would um, urge you guys to listen to it. Uh, specifically in part two, I talk with Jason uh, about hunting. And really what we get into is deer hunting in California. You know, what tags he's got currently. He's got uh, a tag for the best unit in the state of California, the G3 Goodale Deer Unit. And uh, he's been applying, I think this is year 15, and he finally drew that tag. So in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, some of his tactics that he's going to use, obviously season schedule, some of the scouting that he plans to do. Uh, in addition to, um, we talk a little bit about tag allocations in that unit in G3, and then some of his expectations, uh, some of the gear that he's going to be using and so forth. So uh, without any further ado, we'll get into uh, part two of uh, episode number four with Jason Quick. So let's kind of transition a little bit into kind of the some of the meat of our discussion, and it's going to be around hunting, because again, Woo-hoo! that's a passion that both you and I share, and probably 99.9% of the conversations we have a lot of times are around <laughs> hunting. It's never really about work or... Work stinks. Any of that other stuff. It's wait a second. Actually, my job's pretty cool, but yeah, his work stinks. Come on. My job. My my nine to five isn't exactly. Oh, you have a great job. job. You could whine all you want. Okay, so in terms of hunting, so I know you haven't gotten to do a whole lot of hunting yet this year, um, based (laughs) on keyword yet. Yet, but. Based on other things that have obviously been going on, but tell me about what's going. I mean, what you got planned for this fall, or, the, or I guess well, the rest of the year. Well, actually, you know, I mean, I was very fortunate earlier in this year to uh, take my two kids, my daughter and my son, um, up to my old stomping grounds, which now is twelve hours away from here, up on the Northern California border, on on a blacktail hunt. Um, as I had mentioned to you earlier. Um, they have a picture, my mom and dad have a picture of me on this mountain hunting when I was three years old. And everybody's like, how can you hunt when you're three years old? Well, I had a Red Rider BB gun, people. And let me you tell you, birds I was dangerous. <laughs> three years old, I'm not quite sure what I was dangerous to, but, you know, I would chase the deer around the gut pile till till he submitted. 
Um, Squirrels were probably... Oh, uh, uh, anything and everything. But I grew up hunting on this mountain, and I was. this is the first year that I actually, both of my kids had deer tags, so I was able to uh, go up to where I grew up hunting, and it was pretty cool. I don't know if he has a picture that he'll post of, of my son's buck, but uh, my son actually uh, killed an absolute bomber of a blacktail buck. I've only killed one 4x4 blacktail buck in my career, and he happened to shoot a uh, 4x4. Well, it was a 4x4 until it slid down the hill about 100 yards and broke one of the points off, um, so now it's a 3x4. He killed his buck a hundred yards from where I killed mine. The only difference is I shot mine when I was 16, so that would be 31 years prior sure. to him killing his. But the same spot, similar locate, like hundred yards. How cool is that? It was it was phenomenal. You know, deer. You know, we were talking about it earlier. Deer and animals are really they get into habits. They are trained by their parents and. Yeah. And they're in the same places. And did I do any pre-scouting? No, it's 12 hours to get to there now. I didn't do any pre-scouting. Like when I was a kid, you know, I'd spend three weeks with my bow and arrow, not necessarily getting anything, but covering the mountains and finding the deer. And now, you know, I'm like, well, you know, 10 years ago when I was up here, there was there was deer in this area. I told you earlier, I keep saying that, but nobody heard that conversation. I set my binoculars, I put my binoculars on my tripod, and I stuck my eyes into the glass, and literally, right where I looked, there was a buck in the damn binoculars. I mean, like, talk about, you, I mean, what's the You know, you're in the right place that? at the right time. It was just fantastic. That's too cool. But anyway. I think there's a tag in your pocket, though, that's uh, kind of burning, burning a hole in your pocket right now. That's kind of what I want to talk about. Well, the remainder of the, the show I'm a today. I'm a max I'm a max point holder in California. Have been drew my Thule elk tag a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, have max points on antelope. Have max points on bighorn sheep, and had max points on mule deer until this year. Um, pretty fortunate. I drew one of 35 tags available in a unit called G3 which is the Goodale unit. It's one of two December hunts in the state of California. And unless you've got a lot of money and you could buy a golden opportunity tag, which will allow you to hunt in places, um, the odds, I think Lucas is willing to, to tell people how horrible they are. But Yeah, so like I, for, the, for the year of 2015, now California is a preference point state. So that's when you get into this max points breakdown. We'll talk about that a little bit. But just to preface it a little bit, for those of you that do play the odds and do do um, you know apply in different states, there are 32 tag quota in 2015. Now again, we're looking at 2015. We'll see 2016's data uh, here shortly. There was 4,767 applications with a draw odd of point six seven percent, not six point seven, not sixty seven point. Six seven percent, so a sixth of a hundredth odds. Now, if you're a max point holder like Jason is, there's 588 of those people. You're at a 5.44 percent draw odd. So, max points five percent. You draw the G three Goodale deer, which is interesting because who drew it last year? Well, the, yeah. The funny part is my brother actually drew the tag 
the year before. So, I mean, statistically speaking, which I'm a numbers guy, I mean, we're talking astronomical that we would draw back-to-back years with a ratio of less than, well, less than 6% on both years. So, yeah, he actually uh, got a nice buck. The weather really in December last year was absolutely gorgeous. The deer were literally at 11,000-plus feet. Um, Which is an elevation for us in California. Yeah, that's a little elevation for us. Um, Considering we're at, I think think we're at, what, about 97 or 98 feet here, I think, give or or take. Maybe times of two or three or so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, something. Yeah, when you get to that elevation from here, it, it tends to sit on your chest a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But talking about that, so December... The, the season is December 3rd through the 18th here in 2016. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of the schedule, your plans. I mean, normally right. in December, a lot of people aren't hunting all the time. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what you guys have scheduled and planned well, for your trip. The challenging part for me um, is I will actually be back at NRA headquarters the week after Thanksgiving through the, the actual 4th. So... Actually, on the third is what I call Super Bowl for me and my guys. We have an awards banquet that we put on. So I actually tried to get a midnight flight after the awards banquet. But guess what? There is no airports in our town that are open to accept me. So I have to come home on the fourth. So uh, my wife said she didn't expect me to actually sleep after I got home. She figured I'd leave like I did last year to go to my brother's hunt. So schedule right now is I'm actually planning on heading over to the woods and I've taken both, well, I've basically taken the whole season off. Um, figure you wait, well, actually, I, we've been applying for this tag for 18 years and when we went to a point system, we decided it was this tag or nothing. Sure. So now that, that I have it, I've blocked off two weeks of vacation time to go on this hunt. And uh, I plan on hitting it hard. The nice thing is I do know the area because I spent seven, eight days in it last year before my brother killed his buck. Um, depending on weather, that's going to be a big factor if we get any weather, which, you know, I mean, we're in Central Coast, which yeah. what we've had point... Uh, last Saturday was the first... <laughs> I think we got about that, a half an inch The first drizzle that we had. Yeah, which in, was nice. But... Since last October, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's been so, it's been pretty dry. Yeah, but. so so I'm planning on spending the whole time over there. The cool part is my friends from Best of the West are planning on coming out. Okay. I believe that they're going to come in um, on like the seventh Thursday, and I hopefully you'll be coming over on that Friday. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Yeah. And if everything works out right, I hope to have a deer located by that weekend. And uh, prime time. The reason I want you there is because you're young and healthy and and can pack half <laughs> strap, of the deer out. <laughs> strap some of that deer on. And that. we could do a podcast on top of the world, Absolutely. which I will tell you. For those people that have never been to California, for those that have, if you've never been to the east side of the Sierras, over near Independence Bishop, you've got to make it as a destination. It's crazy, people. I'm talking. Independence is a little town that's at six thousand feet. You drive a quarter mile and you hit the Sierras, and it is, no kidding, straight flipping up. And when I say straight up, I'm talking from 6,000 to 12. Yeah. I mean, it's just... And the border of this hunt, really, for those people that don't know this area, 
And it's really Independence at just below Bishop area off of, uh, I think that's 395, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yep, 395. And the hunt goes from Highway 395 to the summit. So it's a weird, weird geographical area. And when you get over there, it's really deserty, it's dry. But Crystal Springs, the water company, they're over there because it's got a huge watershed. Sure. All the snow runoff runs down there. And the mountain ranges are phenomenal. I mean, they, while they look really rugged, they are really rugged. It's just gorgeous. The yeah. sunrises and, cool, and sunsets. The cool are thing fantastic. is, is you, you were there last year. So yeah. you've got a little tribal knowledge going into this year. You've got a tag in your pocket. Um, I, and I guess a question I want to ask is, is so, because you're not going to get there until the second or third day of the season. But so for you, it's day one. Okay. You go day out. One. You're setting up your tripod and you, and you got your binoculars, your spot scope on it, and all of a sudden you're looking up on a ridge and there's a 170 class oh, buck. Okay. Man, in California, if you see a 170 class buck. Day you... one, 170 class buck. Now you're saying you're, you're carving out two weeks of time. Oh, right? man. Two weeks of time, two weeks of fun. So, what's your thoughts? I mean, day one versus day 10, right? I mean, what what's what's your strategy thought going into Really strategy wise to start off with really is is I'm going to try to cover as much territory as I can, put the optics to work. You know, I'm a big glasser. I mean, in my opinion, if you guys haven't bought your first pair of binoculars, pre-warned, talked Lucas into it last year. Yeah. He did. Um um put the glass to work and try to find Ideally, you know, a guy that helped me last year and helped my brother last year said, really, of the 35 tags, you're of all the deer that are there, and you're going to see when I go in there, I I expect to see 100, 150 deer a day, okay? A third of those are going to be bucks. My expectation is to probably hold tight, especially on the first day if it's a 175, um, at the same time, Really, opening weekend, half the people will kill a deer. Sure. Okay. You got thirty-five other hunters. Thirty-five right. other hunters total, unless there's a golden opportunity tag or two in there. Sure, a few auction so, tags or something. But yeah. those guys, if they spent that money, they're looking for a two hundred class deer, and they're probably not going to shoot that deer. And so, they can hunt any time, right? Any part yeah. of the year. So. Well, who knows at that time, mean. there's only like two or three hunts. There's one muzzleloader hunt up in up up north. And then there's actually another area that's doing a December hunt down here by Bakersfield. Okay. And then the one on the other side. But um, really, I think at that stage, I'm probably holding tight. It'll also depend on what the deer looks like. I've killed, um, I've basically almost all the deer that I've killed have really been typical. So if that 175 is really trashy and weird, uh, and if he has a drop tine, it might be hard to. It might be really hard on day on day one not to squeeze a trigger. Even though if I do, let's see, you're going to be mad at me. Um, the guys from Best of the West that are going to be driving in from Wyoming are going to be mad at me. You can't really get it on TV if you yeah. shoot a buck the first day. But so I, I think the answer really is at this present time, I'm probably going to going to hold tight, pray. You know, these deer they come down onto this flat, and if there's no snow, they're going to be. Anywhere from six thousand to eleven five, and that's based on weather. Then yes, the deer will come over the hill out of out of the the western side, 
because the storms come on the west, dumps a bunch of snow on the west, and they pile over onto the east side to get away from it. Um, the cool part is um, a couple of the places that I really want to look were places that I saw pretty decent deer last year towards the end of the season, um, but they were in bad places. I mean... Places it would be... We're talking get up at 4 in the morning, get to the top of the mountain by about noon. Ideally, the deer are rutting, so they're out all day. Sure. You shoot the deer. You pray you don't spend the night on the mountain because it's going to be 0 to 15 degrees up there with who knows what kind of a wind chill factor and uh, come off. But, yeah, so, I mean, that's really what I'm hoping is to be able to spend two or three days looking over a whole bunch of deer trying to figure out what I think is is the best strategy. And then when you guys come in, hopefully we'll be able to make a run yeah, I'm and, looking forward and to that. put one on the ground for us. So we talked a little bit about some of the odds, but you know, around tag allocation. So we talked about in the preference point system, there's a, a quota of 32, but there's also this small random pool. So I, I kind of <laughs> fall into you know some of the random drawings. So in 2015... There were three random quota tags. There was 4,179 applicants at a whopping 0.07%. Now, that's not that, that, once again, back to that point. We're not talking 7%. We're talking point, and then there's a zero after the, and then seven. And then percent, right? <laughs> not 0.07, which would even make it, you know, 7%. So, yeah, so the odds of drawing this tag, and I don't know if we frame that up for you. I mean, I don't know if you're a if you're someone who subscribes to some of the uh, uh, you know the services that help provide some of that data. But if you do it yourself, it's all available online. You can go on to California's website. You can do the numbers yourself. What it's going to tell you is, is this is obviously one of the premier units of the state, probably um, in the top tier, right? The top three to five percent units in the state in terms of, of deer and. What they talk about is, is you know, this this unit has a potential for four points greater uh, than 170 class, right? That's yeah. why I kind of set I kind of set that bar. Okay, it's it's a 170 ish class buck day one, and I think we got a pretty good idea of well, where, and, where and, you're sitting on. And that. once again, last year we spent. My brother was there two or three days before the season. He didn't kill his till day nine. I was there seven days in the season. He ended up killing a, a five by four with nice eye guards, good good mass, but I think it was an upper one sixties class deer. That's a lot of days to be spent in the woods to shoot a one sixty class deer. Um, and how many years to wait to do that? Right? Well, we actually had been applying three years prior to the draw, so it was fifteen this year plus three is eighteen for me. For him, it would have been seventeen. So it's. I keep telling myself last year's weather wasn't as good. Horn growth was decent last year. We had better moisture again last year than we've yeah. had in a lot of years. Yeah. I'm I'm really thinking positive. Absolutely. You know, what what about that deer? I sent you a picture of that deer a friend of mine sent that was yeah. taken in the next unit above in a general season. I mean, that was a 200-inch deer. Absolutely. I mean, for Which California. If that's, if that's any relation to... The antler growth and the quality of moisture and, you know, the growth of the grass and the water. I mean, all that plays into effect and how the animals are going to turn out in that that fall, right, is 
regermination from fires. If there was a fire there, did we get good grass growth? And yeah. So all that stuff is so important. And if you have a bad drought year, oh, it man. shows it in the animal Absolutely. quality and the trophy class quality. So, okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the gear you're using. So I know, you know, you've been at this for many years and you've pretty much built a pretty solid system around, you know, whether it's your archery, you know, design and package you use, or if it's the rifle gear you use and the quality of stuff you use, talk a little bit about what you're planning to bring on your trip uh, for your deer hunt. Well, I mean, first off, I mean, I am really a, a person that, that has changed over the last quite a few years from a wool gear based system to the new ultra lightweight stuff. Uh, I start out with the primary stuff is Sitka and I know that you use a couple of other companies, but I started out with them when they basically were fledglings and, and I kind of know all the guys that are in it and, and I've just, I've stuck with it. Yeah. Of course, and it doesn't help when you've got $10,000 worth of clothing. Yeah. My wife told me that that's how much she figured I had. So the problem is, is when you're gone, she'll maybe find out one day how much all that's worth. Yeah, yeah. When you well, told her that that cold front jacket was, uh, you know, oh, it was a hundred dollars, <laughs> or the Jetstream, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've well, got a set. I like Sika. I have a, I have a full and set. Then, and compliments then you, of the NRA. And then you have to have a backup set to the backup Correct. set, right? You got to have a you couple know, sets. I mean, so, so the nice Sika thing, is your predominantly Sika is my predominant clothing that I wear. Digital on, cam, is that yep, what you're running? Okay. Digital cam is primarily everything that I'm running. Okay. What I find is that that works best color-wise for especially the deserty light areas. Uh, maybe not as good as some of the darker colors when you get into the timber, but boy, I've been in a lot of cases where, especially in late season hunts in Wyoming and Colorado, what happens? You get in there and the first thing happens, they drop six inches of snow. Well, guess what? If you're wearing dark camouflage, all of a sudden, you're the sore thumb when the white stuff lands on the ground. Yep. Anyway, so I'm a Sitka junkie. Okay. I like everything. I lay, I do the layer system primarily, light layer all the way up through heavy. Peel them all off when you hump up the mountain, put them back on when you get to the top. Try not to sweat too much. Gotcha. I think that's a really key thing for any hunter to, to focus okay. on. You can never beat a deer or elk's nose, period. That's Correct. just the way the world works. Yep. Um, I mentioned earlier I'm a big optics person. Learned 15, 20 years ago that buy the best that you can buy. Um, buy the best you can afford, I think, is another one too, right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, there's guys that can't afford you know, the stuff that I have, but guess what? 20 years ago, I couldn't afford what I have either. Yeah. But I will tell you, about 10 years ago, I bought my first pair of Leica range-finding binoculars. And now you can find that first-generation binoculars online Hey guys, if they're used, no big deal. Send them to Leica, have them refurbished. They are phenomenal. Now, yeah. of course, I'm a big 15s guy. Uh, I love the new binoculars that you bought. The I have HDBs, a, yeah. I have a pair of those myself, and I love to pack them because they're lightweight. But in long range glassing situations, Man, you cannot beat a pair of 15. And is that your planning? Are you going to run 15s while I'm, you're up? I'm going to run 15s on this hunt. This is a really wide open area. Um, actually, what's silly is, you know, I had my brother shooting out to 800 yards. He shot his deer at 92 yards. Okay. We had all the optics and tripods and bipods and you name Guns it. Guns capable, 1,000 plus capable yards. capable of everything. Yeah. And here, here the deer is standing on top yeah. of you, basically. Yeah. 
So you never know what the situation is, but in that terrain, I mean, I will tell you, you know, I, I mean, what's funny is sometimes I don't see the things that are in between where I'm standing and 200 yards because I'm actually looking at five, 800, 1,000 yards. But when you find something out there that distance and you're running 15s, it's a big advantage. And, of course, I have the Leica 15 range-finding binoculars, so when I'm looking and I see something, the first thing I do is I press the button, and it tells me that's 820 yards away. And I'm like, okay, that's a cool thing. I know where I'm sitting. If I cut the distance, I can turn around and look back where I was, hit the range-finder. Okay, now I've come 300 yards. I know the deer should be somewhere 500 yards out in front of me. Yeah. So Leica range-finding binoculars... Um, Swarovski spotting scope, yes, I do not have one. Is it on my list? Yes. Do I have kids right now? Yes. Is one of my kids shooting competition trap shotgun? Yes. Am I going to get a like a spotting or a Swarovski. Swarovski spotting scope anytime soon? Probably not. Knowing you, you'll have one. I know how you work. Uh, well, we're going to have to find somebody that, that likes me a lot. Yeah, so what, uh, what's your rifle platform? What are you planning on bringing up there for, for that? I'm going to actually take two guns. Um, both of my guns were set up by the guys at Best of the West. Okay. I run a 7 mag that I actually uh, had built off a of Saco action with a Huskamaw scope on it. Um, for those people that haven't ever shot a Huskamaw system, I highly recommend them. You should uh, go out to Wyoming, Cody, uh, talk to my buddy Jim out there. Have them take you out to the range and shoot one of their systems. You'll be a believer. Um, I'm going to shoot a gun that I had built. That was the original gun that I did. It was my gun. I did it on the Price Point Project. You know, had my own gun. Know it shoots. Take the gun to them. They put a scope mount. They run a load for it. They dial it in. First time I ever shot the gun, I shot... Three shots at 550 yards inside a three-inch circle. And they just basically, they dial in ballistics, coefficient. They do everything. Your they bullets, do everything. They and dial then, it. And then the guy that was doing it said, well, let's have some fun, son. He goes, shoot that rock. And I said, what rock? He said, the one way out there. I said, what one way out there? He goes, the one out there that I spray-painted a pie pan dot on. I'm like, I have freaking no idea what you're looking at. And he goes, I took the gun, put the scope he said, okay, look through the scope. I look through the scope on 20 power, and I see this little dot on this huge rock 1,120 yards away. And I'm thinking, you've got to be smoking crack, old man. There is, I just, No whatever. way I'm going to hit that. Of course, and I never shot a three-shot group at 550 yards of three inches either. Yeah. And he's like, Brr, dialed the turret. He goes, you're going to need one minute of wind. And the wind's blowing from left to right. So I put one minute of wind into it, and I pulled the trigger. It took two seconds, well, actually two and a quarter seconds, for the bullet to travel 1,120 yards, and it hit a pipe pan-sized object. That's unreal. 1,100 yards. 1,120 yards. And you go, did I just do that? I did that. That was me, right? So it, it makes you a believer. So Huskamaw Scopes. My own gun. I am actually going to take a backup gun. Um, I, my dad, actually, for his retirement gift, he bought me a Christensen Arms Ultralight Titanium Action Carbon Fiber Barrel in the 300 Ultra Mag. The other gun's a 7 Remington Mag, which I actually like to shoot the most. 
but I'm going to take a backup gun. The ultralight, the nice thing about it is if we do have to go to 11.5, I am not getting any younger, and the hills are definitely getting steeper. Yeah. So and the pack gets heavier, it seems like. Yeah, year. I mean, I can't believe how much crap we pile into it. You know, the other thing, too, I want to point out to people is tripods. Um, yeah. I really, uh, there's a lot of great heavy tripods if you want to use them in the truck. They're awesome. But the Outdoorsman is my tripod of choice, and I really recommend it. They are not cheap, guys. When you look at the price, you're going to freak. Yeah, okay? but the quality of what they put out and the I've, vinyl mounts that they and the adapters that they have, are, it's the it's, best quality stuff on the, on the market. It's off the charts. And, and here's the thing. I've had mine for 11 years now, my tripod. Finally had one of the little wedge things inside go gunny sack on me. I sent it back. cost me 100 bucks in shipping and them doing the work and shipping it back to me. Suckers just like brand new again. Yeah. I just, In fact, I just got it back the other day, and I was like playing with it. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. This hasn't worked this good in five years. So, you know, buy what you can afford, but save your money. Don't buy the new diesel pusher. Drive your old truck. Save your money, buy the good stuff, yeah. you know, yeah, the guys goes a long way. Uh, they're in Phoenix, Arizona. Cody Nelson, the owner, I've, I've conversed with him online on some stuff. I was trying to set up my system with a good adapter on, I've got a Manfrotto. I didn't yep. quite go to the level of the outdoorsman. He was trying to sell me the That's... all-purpose outdoorsman tripod, the one that you can sit, stand, I just didn't want to put uh, the money the, into that. I have the small one. I'm a, I'm a get-down-on-the-ground type yeah. of guy. But yeah, he, he helped me out and, and was way cool. Sent me photos of what you know those binoculars would look like with the binocular adapter ring set up on the tripod. It was way cool. And you know, I think we did a transaction, you know, over online and within a day or two I had that bino adapter. So way cool, good guys, and I don't mind plugging the outdoorsman. So um, just kind of one last comment uh, before we conclude on, on the podcast tonight. But around Best of the West, so you talked about, yeah, I'm shooting a Best of the West system, Huskamaw scope. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what that is. You know, you talked about Cody Wyoming and, and, and Jim, your friend. But just give us a little insight around Best of the West and what well, we can expect there. Best of the West is actually a TV show. Um, so... Jack Peterson produces the TV show, but a few years back, a good friend of mine, Jim Sessions, who I met, geez, 20 years ago when I was uh, helping out at the Mule Deer Foundation as an advertising salesperson, um, we met at a trade show, the Mule Deer Foundation trade show, and, and we hit it off. I mean, it was just one of those things, you know, you run into a guy and all of a sudden, you know, next thing you know, you're talking and he's like, hey, you like to hunt? I like to hunt. Why don't you come out to Wyoming? And I'm thinking, wow, I mean, just, you know, out like that. Come on out to Wyoming. And at that time, he was he was doing a lot of videographer work. Um, 20 years ago, you know, the big thing was go around to a trade show and a guy had a video. And you're like, oh, man. He's like, ah, oh, 35 bucks, I'll sell you a video. Well, he had, he had video footage of the buck called Popeye. Um, Mike Eastman publicized a lot of that stuff. And uh, Jim was one of the few guys that had all that footage also. And uh, some of his videos were phenomenal. And primarily back then, he was doing wildlife videoing, not necessarily hunting. But he was getting into that stages. Well, you know, 20 years ago, the video technology was spend $20,000 on a camera that weighed 30 to 60 pounds. Yeah. 
and then you follow some hunter around trying to get the footage. I on mean, your for, shirt or lugging that thing yeah, for, yeah, for the outdoor western type of hunting. Oh, my God. It was it was crazy. Yeah. So, really, that's, that's how I met Jim. And ever since that, we've been friends. And we've gone on elk hunts and deer hunts and sheep hunts and been to Alaska and, and just had a great time together. So, Jim actually is part owner of Huskama Optics. Um... Their claim to frame is the actual turret system. So really their scopes are set up where you burn a turret specifically to your load, weight of the bullet, how many feet per second, out the barrel, and then really elevation. And what that does is then you can buy, what I normally do is I normally buy three turrets since we're basically at sea level here. I buy a 2,000 foot turret. Turrets range really in between uh, about 4,000 feet span. So I buy a 2,000 foot turret, usually a 6,000 foot turret, and then a 9,000. And people go, well, why would you ever buy a 9,000 foot turret? I'm like, well, because on this hunt, we're going to be in a situation where we could be shooting a deer at 6,000 feet or we could be shooting a deer that's at 11.5. So what you do with these guns is literally when you get to where you're going, usually you want to do some testing. So when I get there, I'm going to actually shoot my guns probably at about six to 8,000 feet elevation. And my test run is going to be probably anywhere from a 600 to an 800 yard shot. Do I expect to shoot that far? No, I hope I don't have to. But if I have a 230-inch mule deer at 800 yards, am I going to kill him? You are absolutely right. I am going to kill him. Um, the big advantage with these systems is with the turrets, you can literally adjust yardage when you know the true flight path of your bullet. The thing that you don't know is windage. Windage has always got a big variable and if you get into the 10 mile an hour gusts, they have a system on the turrets that tell you approximately how many, how much the drift is. If it passes 10 mile an hour, that's when it really gets into the, the questionable factor. But I, I practice. I shoot, usually the closest yardage I shoot is 420 yards. I have a 400, a 550, and then I have a 720 out at the Ryan Ranch, mm -hmm. and I mean, I've got my kids out there shooting those distances without even, I mean, the silly part is my kids don't know that 20 years ago, shooting over 200 yards was just, was yeah. an unheard of thing. Yep. So they think that it's just normal that you can hit the gong at a thousand yards yeah. whenever you want, it's even amazing. on windy days. The technology, and it, I've shot these systems, and it it is as simple as getting the gun basically lined up, right, whether you're shooting off of a, a bench or some type of, well, even if you're shooting offhand, however however you do it, typically offhand that far, you don't want to do that, but you want to be set up. It is as simple as getting some type of idea of the wind, whether it's crossing you at, at what minute, literally turning the the vertical turret on top of the scope to the yardage identified through your rangefinder and just adjusting for minutes of wind left or right and squeezing the trigger. Yeah, and I always, like I said, as soon as I get up there, in fact, I'm thinking about going up over Thanksgiving, and I'll probably test my guns on 
on that weekend versus testing it after season opens. But um, you always want to test your guns and make sure that everything's in just like you expect it to be. But I normally, like when I went on my sheep hunt uh, this last time, I shot my both these same two guns that I'm going to take. I took on my sheep hunt, and I hit a football-sized rock at 692 yards on my practice, and I actually shot two shots out of my 7 and two shots out of my 300 and basically turned this football-sized rock into baseball-sized rocks. And, you know, I mean, when you shoot hundreds of rounds at distances like that, you get comfortable. And I'm not condoning everybody shooting at these distances. If you've never shot 200 yards or if you've never shot 400 yards, I'm not saying go out there and shoot those long distances. But if you're interested, go take one of their classes. Go out and shoot their system. They have actually what they call the Outfitter Series. And, you know, for four grand, they could set you up a rifle that's capable of shooting, you know, longer than you've ever shot. And you can't just expect to just go out and do it. You have to actually practice. Sure. But when you practice, it makes it easy. And like I said, when my 17-year-old and my 12-year-old don't know any different, they just... they. They'll literally sit down and shoot 400 yards, not even, they're like, that's not even a challenge. They're like, well, they instantly want to sit down and shoot at a thousand. And I'm like, whoa, 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 we got to work up to that. And they're like, oh, we yeah. hit it the last time. Let's spin the dial and go. I'm like, well, it is kind of true. Spin yeah. the dial and go. So uh, the There's an ethical part to that. And I've been in conversation with people about, you know, hey, it's not ethical shooting an animal at a thousand yards or you know, the, the technology allows you to do that, but I don't think it's fair to the end. But I look at it, it's like if you practice, right, if you perfectly practice every time to where you know you're going to have a perfect outcome and you're capable and you know that you can make that shot, and most of the time, you know, you watch the videos, these guys do it. I mean, they're, they're knocking animals down at, you know, a thousand plus yards. I don't see anything unethical with that. To well, me, it... it Okay, yeah. Granted, the animal doesn't even know you're shooting at it because by the time the bullet gets there, it's a, what a three or four second way before yep. the actual sound gets there. But um, if you if you practice it and and you understand what you're doing and your firearm and you're obviously the system, I don't think it's unethical. Well, and and you know, I mean, I have an issue a lot of times with guys that go and buy a night for scope and they slap it on a you know six mm. And they just instantly think, well, now I saw somebody else had a nice four scope and they had a 6mm and they were shooting a thousand yards. And then they go out and they start banging away. And I've seen guys do that kind of stuff. But those guys, you know, you, you can't just go down and buy a box of Remington Core Locks at Walmart. Not to say there's anything wrong with Remington Core Locks because I shoot them too. But you just can't go buy that and then... Put it in a gun and expect it to shoot a thousand yards. Will it send a bullet a thousand yards? Yeah. Do you know where it's going to be? No. Absolutely not. Will it be on a pie pan at a thousand yards? No. Likely not. But I will tell you, like I said, you know, when you practice and you've got a gun and it's all dialed in and it's set up, I mean, I shoot the same bullet, the same powder load, the same primer, the same cartridges. I mean, every time I go through a hundred cartridges. I reload the same ones. We have to resize them, do everything. They're all put back exactly the same way. 
as so the other. Very consistent. So it's very consistent. And and I tell everybody, you know what? I am looking for a three hundred yard shot because I told you my closest shot's four hundred and twenty yards. I practice at. Boy, let me tell you, anything under four hundred and twenty yards, if if it's there and I want to kill it, it's in trouble. Yeah. But my goal, and I told the the guy I went sheep hunting with, he's like, "Well, how how comfortable are you?" I said, "Well, I can. I've shot things. I've shot a target past thousand yards. You know, I'm pretty comfortable shooting a gun. You know, I do work for the NRA. It's not the National Archery Association, um, so I'm comfortable shooting a gun. And uh, I said, "But really, I want a 300 yard shot. That's what I want. Yeah. But if we get into a situation, because he like on my sheep hunt, the guy told me, "Hey, look, there's a place I want to go." And the problem is it's across a canyon, and the sheep like to go up in this little cut, but it's like 580 yards away. And he's like, he when he killed his sheep there, he was never comfortable shooting that direct, that distance. And I told him, 580 yards? Drop in the bucket. I was like, man, that's, that's yeah. child's play. So, and I've noticed that when you've shot at 1,000 yards, a 500-yard shot is a chip shot. Right. It really is when you when you. Practice, I mean, when you practice and you shot it, and you readjust back to 500 yards, it's. You know, back in the in day, a, in a five to twenty power scope, it's just it's night yeah. and day difference. Yeah, back in the day, we were shooting three to nine Leopold scopes. Fantastic products. Got a dozen of them on different guns, right? But back in the day, shooting a three to nine scope, shoot at 200 yards. Then what was a chip shot then? 100 yards 100 was a chip yards. shot yeah. then. Yeah. You know, now you look through a nine power scope for me, and I'm like, holy cow, how come the thing doesn't get bigger when you crank the knob up? Oh, wait a second, you're already at nine. Okay, well, this Huskama scope that I truly love is their 5 to 20 blue diamond. Yeah. And that's my favorite. I have the 3 to 12s, I have the 4 to 16s. I like both of those also. If you're taking a gun that you really want to make it lighter, those are great guns. Uh, great scopes, but I like the five to twenty. Yeah, and I, I am. Hey, listen, I, I don't ever condone shooting standing up at any distance. In fact, I have a hard time shooting two hundred yards standing up. So almost every one of the shots that I ever do with one of these guns at yardages of four hundred yards and out, you're laying down and prone style and, and, and you are you are set up but i have you know when a deer's out there or an elk's out there at 400 600 800 yards if they're just feeding most likely not going anywhere especially in this situation on this hunt it's a rut hunt i mean if there's five does around there that buck ain't going nowhere he may yeah. lay down yeah but he's not going anywhere he's going to be there for, until the does decide to leave, he's yeah. going to be there. So we've had situations actually in the hunting show where literally you build a bench. And it sounds kind of funny, but you literally can build a shooting platform. I mean, we've put backpacks up, stack them up, take rocks, put them for a backrest, you know, and then build even a place where you put your elbow so it's almost like you're at the gun range and you're shooting on a bench. Yeah. I mean... You got to make it as steady as possible. Yeah. And if you're at that distance, you can you can yeah. spend time and do that. But and I always think about like even in archery, if you're an inch off at ten yards, you're two inches off at twenty, you're three inches off at thirty, and so magnitude that by if you're an inch off at a hundred yards, what that yep. says, and a thousand yards, which is night and day difference. Absolutely. Right? And you know me, I, I mean, I'm an archery junkie. I, I've 
I love archery hunting just as much as the next guy, but when you spend 15, 20 years trying to draw a tag and you finally actually have it, I actually did talk about trying to take my bow in case we didn't find anything that we wanted. And now I've kind of talked myself out of it. But I'm talking, thinking about taking a lever action. If we don't find a buck on the last weekend, I might shoot that big 30-inch forked horn that I saw last year if he's still around. Sure. Might try yeah. to sneak into 80 yards and shoot him with a 1890 class lever, model, lever yeah. action. That would be cool. That would be so, a cool story. When you look at the harvest success, you know, 84% in 11, all the way up to 94% in 2015, I would venture to say majority of that is rifle hunting, right? I mean, that absolutely. happens based on a rifle. And there are guys out there that get it done with the archery equipment. But you're right, when you spend that much time waiting to get this tag that you likely may not draw again, hard to say, but there's a random pool, right? that you may never draw this tag again, you want to up your odds and percentages to, to yeah. fill that tag. And obviously you want to you want to shoot the, the best buck, uh, most respectable buck that you can find um, within that age class. So I, I will tell you on this hunt, you should always get a deer on this hunt. I counted, like I said, 150 deer a day, 50 bucks every day. Every day I was there. If I want, if you just wanted to shoot a deer, there was a forked horn or a small four point standing on the side of the road every day. So, you know, seeing a statistic where it says ninety percent, seventy five percent, eighty eight percent, really, I look at that and go, the reality is, the people that didn't shoot a deer never found a deer they wanted. Yeah, they were looking for a one eighty, one ninety plus. Deer. And that's really the reality on this hunt is, if you see a one eighty deer and you pass it you're probably nuts. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, 175 deer that you posed me on the first day, the only reason I probably wouldn't shoot that deer on the first day is because you guys weren't there. <laughs> or Now, if it's a 200 inch glass The likelihood that there is a bigger one, that you're going to spend a lot of time glassing, covering territory that you may find that buck, that's... That's always well, that's that. the reason I'm using the excuse you guys aren't around, yeah. so I could I could wait a few more days. But if you if you shot a 180 class buck and I showed up, I wouldn't at all, you know, give you any grief about that. I'd be um, pretty happy for you. So. Uh, that's that's the plans. I mean, if I could, the 180 is the is the benchmark. That's what that's yeah. what the goal is. That's a good buck. Okay, so with that, um, we're going to go ahead and just kind of do a quick recap and and close out and conclude on thoughts today. So. Thinking about um, our conversation this evening, you know, the, the few things that jumped out at me specifically are, you know, clearly again, and we talked about this a little bit, it is an election year, um, you know, we're, we're within, you know, the 11th hour, if you will, of, of, you know, assigning a new president of the United States for the next four years. It is imperative and critical that, you know, we understand our values and that we stand up for our values and that we vote for those things that are our values and our morals, ethically Absolutely. and morally. Um, and it takes research. I was going through and reading the propositions, and it's amazing in this state, the stuff that they're proposing to promulgate into law currently. And you have to read the propositions, and you have to read them right, because you could answer yes, and actually that means no, no. based on the way that it's written. And I think they do that to trick you. So spend some time. Um, think about, um, you know, when you're checking the box on your ballot, really think about how that's going to impact you. Think about how that could impact 
you know, kids getting into the outdoors in the future and really think about, you know, what the future is going to be and, 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 you know, make the right decision that, you know, I'm not going to tell you to vote one way or the other because we all have our views on politics, but, you know, vote the way that you feel, you know, standing up for our outdoors and our conservation is the right way. On that note, hate to interrupt you. Think about when you're reading your booklet, and and once again, maybe I've had a few extra election cycles more than some people that are listening. Look at the who's supporting this and who's against this section, and then read the titles of the people that are doing it. Long time ago, a very intelligent older gentleman explained to me if... The PETA people are writing a thing for this project or for this bill to be signed. There is a high probability that us hunters are not going to be voting for it. Yeah. So pay attention to who's who's for it and who's against it in the actual voter's manual. And that will be a helpful tip, hopefully, for you when you're looking through your pamphlet. Yeah. I think the other thing is for me is get involved. I mean, I, I felt like I made an impact, you know, in my short time with the NRA. And I think there'll be another time where I feel like I need to do that again and get involved. But I think it's important that you'll kind of have that calling and know that it's important to to do that and, you know, get involved, you know, contact. If you live in Northern California, there's a rep up there, right? You can go online and send an email and say, hey, I'm interested in getting involved in this committee. If you're in Ohio or Florida or Texas or anywhere else in the United States, there's Get involved. And, uh, you know, again, it it is a volunteer basis, but I think based on volunteers, there are a lot of what makes a lot of this happen. And then finally, I think for me, you know, I'm just totally excited for you. (laughs) that you have set up in December. I'm actually pretty jealous because I think um, outside of I've got a bear tag left in this state that I'm going to try to get out and do some bear hunting and a pig tag left. I don't have a whole lot of hunting left. Oh, listen, he's whining, Mr. I've been hunting the whole time. Jason's been working and sending Jason pictures. I was pretty fortunate to to harvest some good animals in September. Damn buffalo interrupting the antelope hunt. Yeah, exactly. We got into some really excellent animals, which... It's on my first podcast. You can listen to that and hear my story. But, um, yeah, now it's time for Jason to be able to go have his turn in the, in the saddle. So, Jason, what's uh, any additional closing comments today on what we talked about? No, I, I always want to say thanks for having me. The, tell everybody, please, you know, think about volunteering. I mean, I don't care who you volunteer for. Volunteer for Ducks Unlimited. Volunteer for the Elk Foundation. Volunteer for the NRA. Volunteer somewhere that you believe what you're doing is helping make a difference. That's what I love about the NRA. I think it it's the defense mechanism to protect America and make America great, protect our hunting heritage as well as our, our constitutional right and our country. Um, you know, without, without the NRA, there is no Second Amendment. Without the Second Amendment, there is no Constitution. Without a Constitution... America is not America. Yeah. America is just another country where you get told that you're not allowed to preach your preach. You get told what religion you got to be in. So people just, you know, don't lay down. Get out, register to vote, go out and vote, join the NRA, sign up to be a volunteer somewhere, 
and try to make a difference in your life. Yep. Make your make your kids, make your parents proud of you, because you know we got to make a difference in this life. Yep. We're only here for a little while. And you, you know, you kind of, I was, I was, you know, off and on a member of the NRA and you got me a, you got me a great deal on a lifetime membership and I'm a lifetime member and it's actually very simple and it, it's actually pretty inexpensive when you think about the value of what you're doing over time yeah. with a lot of the conservation uh, groups and organizations out there. You know, I'm, I'm a member of Rocky Mountain Elk and SCI and a lot of the other ones and. And I know that that money is going towards, you know, things that I value and things that, you know, are are my moral structure and things that I believe in and things that I want to be able to enjoy later in life. So do your part. Um, obviously, you know, if you can, you know, sign up for the NRA, volunteer. Uh, and, uh, you know, based on that, how could I think you talked a little bit about it. If someone wanted to get a hold of you. And I'll post it on the on the on the meeting notes. But what would be the best way to get a hold of you? You know, I'm not a big social media person. You know, never have been, never will. Um, so if you need to get a hold of me, you can always email me. It's J Q U I C K at N R A H Q dot O R G. You can always email me. If not, go on to nrafoundation.org website or go to NRA, and then you can look for the foundation. Once you click the foundation, you can hit volunteer and then it'll pull up all the states you click on whatever state you're interested in and it'll give you a box you just type in your information and it'll send it out to that field rep and like i said just ask around go to the gun shops in your local town ask who the nra representative is and how you can get involved you know i'm telling you it is very very rewarding and the other side of that is come on you meet people just like us i mean we love to hunt, we love to fish, we love the outdoors, we love shooting, we love America. Get involved, have fun, That's what it's all meet about, more right? people, and, and next thing you know, somebody like Lucas is going to be going, hey, you want to go to Montana, go hunting? Or somebody like me is going to go, hey, I got a friend, I know everything about Wyoming, you want to go kill an antelope? Should be able to shoot a you know, high 70s class antelope. I mean, those are the kind of things yeah. you meet good people. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Jason, for coming on today, uh, and obviously your insight. Clearly, there's a, a lot of good things we shared, and, and hopefully the, the listeners will, will listen to some of that and, and uh, take some of that away. So my plan is to catch up with you, hopefully, either during or after Woo-hoo! this hunt and successfully harvest uh, a nice buck out of the G3 unit. But uh, we'll be obviously talking before that. But, uh, again, thanks for coming on. I want to thanks every, thank everyone for listening. And remember, you know, during this election season, you know, let your voice be heard and definitely vote, right? Get out and vote as much as you feel like this year is probably a a year that you don't feel like voting for anyone. It's still critical um, that you do vote for the best candidate based on, um, you know, their thoughts and and where they want to take this country. So with that, we're going to sign off this evening uh, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jason. Hey, appreciate it. Anybody ever draw us G3 hunting tag? I expect you to call me. I expect pictures, but I'll give you every bit of information I can. Safe travels, everybody. Absolutely. Take care, guys. First and foremost, I want to thank everyone for listening. The RNA Outdoors podcast is produced every other week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found both on the podcast feed and our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. Feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed. 
We are live on Podbean and iTunes. For iOS slash Apple users, go to Podcasts on your Apple device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. When you subscribe to a podcast using the podcast app for iOS or using iTunes on your Mac or PC, you are subscribing to the podcast updates by that particular podcast producer. With iCloud, you can synchronize your podcast subscriptions across all devices. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean or just use our website, again, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on any of our social media platforms. Twitter is at RNA Outdoors. Instagram is hashtag Rod in Arrow Outdoors. And of course, Facebook, you can search by just looking at RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you have heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Please join us next time for another edition of the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast.